Hey, and welcome to episode four of the MTB Fitness Podcast. Today, I've got Rick Moylan in. Now, at the beginning of the episode, I do a really good detailed intro into exactly who it is, but just know you're going to really, really enjoy this episode. We talk all about mindset, about training, uh, and we just really go deep into it, really. Rick's dead down to earth. He's been in the industry, or he's been in the fitness industry for 15 years, coaching elite level athletes, CEOs. He's coached um, high level boxers, tons of them. So I think you'll really, really enjoy this. If you do enjoy it, I'd ask that you take 10 seconds just to leave a review and subscribe if you enjoy it. Uh, and then, yeah, I'll get into the podcast because I do a really good, detailed introduction in there. So enjoy. This is episode four of the MTB Fitness Podcast. Hey podcast, so today I'm on the phone with Rick Moylan. Rick works closely with world-class athletes, CEOs and the armed forces using his widely regarded Moylan Advanced Performance Principles. He's been in the industry for over 20 years and worked with world-class boxers such as Ricky Hatton, Tony Bellew and currently with the boxer Scott Quigg and he's also worked with tons of other athletes. Rick also works with personal trainers and fitness professionals through his mentoring program. He's been, fit he's been featured on the BBC, on the ITV and also in magazines like Men's Fitness. As well as this, he also runs char charity boxing nights where your average Joe will sign up and train for six weeks before getting in the ring in front of hundreds of people. And in the last couple of years, those events have raised an amazing £100,000. Finally, Rick also has his own podcast, which is the MAPS podcast, which we'll have a chat about later. And it's safe to say you're a busy man, Rick. Hi, <laughs> Matt. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm all right. You, you... I mean, for that intro, you just made me... Uh... You made me sound, yeah, quite cool. <laughs> uh, I'll, have to, uh, I'll have to hire you to do my intros for me again in the future. <laughs> well, it's all from your website. I was trolling through your website and I thought, right, I'll get a paragraph together. And I thought, it can't just be a paragraph. It's going to have to keep going on and on and on. <laughs> um, There's loads yeah. of missed off as well. Yeah, it's a, busy, it's a busy life, but, you know, busy's good. That's it. Busy's what you want. thing is, you're probably like me. As soon as things quieten down a bit, you look for other stuff to do anyway to stay, uh, to stay busy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so... Uh, Sorry, mate, I was just going to say, I remember years ago when I, uh, well, I was complaining to my dad that I was busy and my phone was working. He said, son, complain when, you when my phone wouldn't stop. And he said, son, complain when your phone stops ringing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, Busy's better than quiet. <laughs> definitely. So uh, for everybody listening, tell us a little bit more about yourself. I know I've obviously given you an intro, but you were, you were born in Manchester, weren't you? How did you go from... You know, how did you get into fitness? How did you start working with athletes? Um, tell us a bit about more about your background. I'll be interested <laughs> here as well. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I'm born. I'm born and bred in Manchester. I was born in uh, in the you know right in, very close to the city centre in an area called Hume, um, which was was a pretty deprived area. Um, uh, you know, in the late seventies, yeah, and you know, in eighties. But you know, I had, I had a very steady upbringing. Good, good family, good parents, um, and and you know, I, I'm very proud of my background. Uh, as I say, it was it was um, there wasn't much money in the area, which I'm sure is you know a familiar story for a lot of people. Um, but you know, we 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 always we had a good I had a good childhood, and and you know, I've got nothing but fun sort of fond memories. And um, you know, I I grew up like like you know a lot of young sort of lads uh loving sport um i was a big football fan i played a lot of football amongst other sports um uh, and and the main one 
you know, additional to that was was combat sports, really. Um, you know, so, so from being a kid, I've, I've always sort of been into, uh, I've been into playing playing sport, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, at high school, I'd, I'd do different sports with all my mates, as I'm sure many of us did. Yeah. And it, and it was just, you know, I, I, I always sort of wanted to, like, uh, you know, again, like many kids, I was a good footballer. I wanted to be a footballer. I played for Manchester Boys. Played for my county, representing my county, but I didn't, you know, I didn't quite have enough, really. Um, physically, didn't quite have enough, and I'm more so mentally, which I think we'll, we'll perhaps touch on, you know, again a bit later. You know, I, okay. I didn't quite have the confidence in my ability. I was, I was swayed by a few people around me uh, that, that that you know would sort of talk me into the fact that I wasn't quite good enough when when maybe or maybe I wasn't. Uh, I played semi-pro football for a while, um, you know, and, and you know, so sport was always always my life. Really, I, I, I was um, that was where I channeled my my youth. So it, it just became became natural for me that I, that I wanted to work in sport. That that was my progression, you know. Got you. So is that what you went straight into then? Did you did you go to college or uni or what? What happened? How did you go from being interested in sport into actually getting into it, being a job? Um, I, I went. I went to college, like you know, you know, I did my A levels and I did my A level. I went to a college sort of out of the area, really, because the local colleges didn't didn't do physical education, which is what I wanted to do my A levels in. Got you. Uh, so I went. I went out of the area. Tra- you know, travelled not not a, a, not too far, but you know, I used to get a bus and about an hour away or whatever it was, and and um, and, and I very quickly realised that I absolutely hated my A levels. <laughs> right. I had to do, uh, you know, the college lecturers at the time. You know, they were good. They were good people. I, I liked them, but they they advised me that I had to do science as well as um, PE in order to get into university. And right. after a small stint at microbiology, which didn't last long, um, you know, this, I was I, I was dating a girl at the time whose father was a microbiologist as well, and and it still didn't last long. You know, the, <laughs> the A level that is. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I switched my A level to to psychology, um, and there's and there's an irony to that because I absolutely hated the psychology as well. So, <laughs> right, I did psychology as well, but I quite I did psychology, sociology, philosophy at college, and psychology I was quite keen on. I liked kind of the the mindset side of it and all that sort of things. But um, sorry, carry on. Yeah, I mean, you know, and as I say, there's an irony because most of what I do now is psychology. You know, with with athletes and whatnot, but. Maybe it was just sort of where I was at at the time in, in my life, you know. Um, yeah. I, I, the the A level sort of thing just didn't work for me, and and I left with very average grades that, that couldn't yeah. really get me into university or or take take me forward, you know. So I I I, I came out of college and uh, I got a job in a local sort of factory, um, just just to get some money because my parents were like, okay, you know, uh, while you figure out what you're gonna do, you're not sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. So they they sent me off to work, and and that was that, you know, and and um, that was a really really good job for me because I again I absolutely hated it, but it allowed me to earn some money. It allowed me to see the the realities of working life, and it allowed me to figure yeah. out what it was I wanted to do. Which at that point, then I knew I wanted to get into sport and coaching. Um, so I I pay I saved saved up my money which I, I was on I wasn't a lot I was on about 100 quid a week something like that yeah and, and I signed up and I paid for some MVQs for myself um right. got qualified got into fitness got a job in a gym 
and 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 that was the, how the journey started really you know um I, I met a guy in there called darren i had aaron roberts who's still oh, yeah. A, yeah friend of mentor today to, he works to with um, some of the red bull athletes don't he i know some of the people listening he works with um red like the red bull mountain bikers don't he i know he's worked with John- extreme yeah. athletes so yeah. sorry i don't did we i don't know if we lost each other there then sorry i don't know if communication went but um, no, no, no. Hey, fine. he um yeah he he worked at that time he was a personal trainer um uh you know and he, yeah he's gone on to do really really you know big things with all the red bull extreme athletes it's, it's an area that i've worked in helping him for a short period of time as well which i absolutely love but okay He's he's worked with you know uh, the the Athertons is it Rachel Atherton G Atherton yeah. people like that yeah um, to MX riders superbike riders um, all those mad mad <laughs> watch me language all those mad bastards who jump out <laughs> like swear all you like you're fine <laughs> yeah, yeah he's worked with all all those crap pots you know so um, so yeah I I met him in a in a gym and and he was sort of PT in doing personal training and and. I was so, you know, a bit more of a leisure assistant at the time. So, you know, cleaning up and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so, I, you know, I, I followed him around. I, I just I hung on to his coattail and still, you know, still do sometimes, you know. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, so after that, I knew I needed more qualifications to, to do the work that I wanted to do, you know. So off I went to university at the grand old age of 21 as a, as a mature student. Okay, and you know, and and you know, from there, yeah, I, 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 you know, I got work as a PT. I started working with some young, very young, up and coming athletes. Um, one of them was called Liam Brody, who's now a pro tennis player. You know, right. worked with on and off for you know fifteen years, and and the other one was a young Anthony Crawler, who was uh, just transitioning from being an amateur to being a professional boxer, and the rest okay. has gone from there. Yep, got you. So you've just kind of worked with more and more athletes and then, like you say, it's turned into what it is today. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. You know, um, I started off helping these young athletes out. They had no money at the time. I, I, I had no real experience, you know, so it was very much a, a trade of services and, and it just evolved and evolved and evolved from there. Got you. So you still work with athletes today, don't you? Is that right? I know you obviously split your time between different things, but what does your, what do you do at the moment? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, you know, and and, I, and I've been in the the journey with the athletes. What what is commonly known in the trade as being a, a, a tracksuit wanker, we call it. I mean, <laughs> you know, whereby you're with the athlete full time and and you're travelling around. You know, and and there's some cool stuff. You're travelling around the world or going to some great places, great tournaments, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. and I've you know I've been there and done. I've done that journey, but I think you know as my life as I've got a little older and as I. Um, you know, I've become a father and so forth like that. Um, what what athlete life is about for me now is is more of a consultancy type role. Oh, okay, got you. So I will, uh, you know, I went from being the the strength conditioning coach and nutrition guy who was with them twenty four seven. Yeah. Um, to sort of more of a performance management role now, whereby I I kind of oversee what they're doing, oversee and 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 quarterback. You know, most of the other members of the team. Right. Okay. Got you. So they'll actually have someone who's working one to one with you, will them? Will they? And then you're above that person overlooking it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um. I mean, we all work together. You know. So, uh, you know, it's a case of us all working together and and 
you know, when you when you a competitive sportsman, you know, or athlete, excuse me, a competitive athlete, it's all about winning at the end of the day, you know. And and, and for me, that's at any level, whether that's uh, amateur level, whether that's at you know weekend warrior level, you know, if you're going to do something, you've got you're going to do it, you've got to do it well, and you've got to do the best. Well, I'm going to say winning. I mean, winning for you, you know. Yeah, winning for you might just be completing a marathon for argument's sake, or might be complete, completing that ride. You know, but you've got to do the best you can do. In, in pro sport, it's it is all about winning. Um, yeah. so the team works together with you know with one sole outcome, which is getting the best out of the athlete to 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 win that you know event, that race, that fight, what that tournament, whatever it is. Absolutely, yeah, totally. And I think what you said about obviously working with pro athletes, it's all about them winning at whatever sport they're competing in. But I think, like you say, for your everyday athlete, your everyday person who's just into fitness, like in this case, into riding, it's about winning against yourself, isn't it? Going out every week and trying to beat your PRs and then setting a goal and working towards it. Um, it doesn't always have to be about beating someone else. It can be beating yourself, as you've said. Um, you mentioned earlier in the podcast about the mindset side of it and you kind of convinced yourself that you weren't good enough to be you know good at an, uh, to succeed as an athlete so obviously you went into the coaching side of things how important do you think is that mental side of things for an athlete is it hugely important like what what are your views around that <laughs> I, th- I think it's uh, i think it's absolutely critical and and you know as i was working with um general population as well and, and general public it started to become obvious to me but then then more so as I, as I was moving through the, the sort of pro game because as I was learning more about science and and you know the the, the science of biomechanics and the body and muscles and uh, nutrition and all those kind of things yeah I, I realized I needed to learn more about people um you know I'd, I'd I could have two people that were sort of genetically what you would perceive as being genetically similar, you know, similar height, similar weight. Um, uh, and basically, the, you know, you'd give them, they'd have the same goals. They'd be, you know, fighters for argument's sake. They want to win fights. They want to punch harder, all those kind of things. Oh, yeah. you, you'd give them the same training program and, and you'd get a completely different response. You know, it would one would work very well for one and one would, wouldn't work so well for the other, you know. So, um, What do you think created those differences then in the outcomes for the different people? Well, I mean, obviously, each case is, is is extremely unique. But but going back to going back to your, your yeah. question, what what you'd have is you'd have one one person who would have a certain hopes, dreams, fears, um, and and a certain voice in in their mindset saying one thing to them. You know, so you could have a sort of uber confident alpha type character, uh, who who would be all about you know the the tough session and and so forth like that, or as you could then have a personality type whereby they would need a little bit of love, a little bit more care, a little bit more detail in, in what you were doing. Um, you know, you, you may perhaps then have a voice that, that, that sort of whose cup's half empty, so to speak, and, and would be looking at what could go wrong and, and what, what they may not be good at, etc. So um, going back to your, your sort of your question, my, your mindset's absolutely crucial. It's absolutely crucial. And, and I realised that I had to learn more about uh, mindset, psychology, human behaviour, because you know, and and it is becoming more prevalent now in sport. What we're seeing now is is that the role of the mind is 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 the foundation of everything else. 
So I agree completely. For those people that you mentioned that might have like the cup half full or the people who believe in themselves less, because a lot of the people listening to this podcast won't necessarily have that mindset where above anything they can believe they can do it. You know, there might be some self-doubt in there, a lack of motivation. They might struggle to get up at 5 a.m. and train. When you work with those pro athletes, and I suppose it's with your charity boxing as well, what are some actionable things that you do with people to help them get that self-belief and to help them to see the glass is half full rather than half empty you know are there any examples of things that people listening could take away and use yeah i think i think the 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 most important thing is is actually to identify you actually talking to yourself you know you've got that inner dialect or that audio dialect that that is actually that voice that's sort of talking to yourself and saying you know, or say you know, say negative things. Many of us w- will actually deny it, and particularly top top level sports people, they'll be like, "Oh no, 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 I'm fine. I'm, I feel good. I feel ready." <laughs> right. And the, the truth of the matter is, <laughs> they're actually shitting the self, you know, and they've got all these ears <laughs> and voices going through their head. So what what I try and do with people is is to notice and and actually write down the the the, the things that you're saying to yourself, you know. Um, yeah. And and we talk about this a lot with boxers when they walk into the ring you know if you're walking to the ring to face Anthony Joshua for argument's sake yeah there's a good chance that that's not going to end well on that night for you, you know, <laughs> definitely so, wouldn't if it was me <laughs> yeah, if you, well, you know but it's a good chance it's not going to end well um you know and walking to the ring sort of saying to yourself fucking hell he's big yeah you know look at the size of him you know that, that's not going to help so yeah. I, think, I think it's yeah I think it's about walk you know uh, identifying and noticing those voices first and foremost, and then actually writing down what it is you actually saying to yourself repeatedly. Yeah, you know, I can't do this. I'm not. I'm not good enough. I'm not fast enough. You know, or oh, it's going to be tough today. This hill's going to be tough. Or it's going to be a long ride. Yeah. And and what often we notice is that people say the same few things over and over again to themselves, and they really make a big, you know, excuse the pun, but they make a mountain out of a molehill. You know. Um, yeah. So I get my guys to really notice what they're doing, identify the words that they're using and write it all down. And then what we'll do then is we'll coach them and we'll make them sort of realize is that in no way, shape or form is this helpful to performance. This this is not going to help. You know, this sort of negative approach is not going to elicit a peak performance response. Um, an example that I give, it's an old example for, from boxing is that you know, Mike Tyson, who was a very dominant force at the time, he, he got beat by James Buster Douglas, a very, very, you know, a huge underdog in that fight. I, I can guarantee you that on that given day, there will have been some fear in Buster Douglas, his, his brain. There will have been some fear as he was walking to the ring. But there will have also been a vision of, of what success could have looked like. And there will have been that little bit of confidence and that little bit of belief that he could do it. Um, so... You know what I would then say to my my guys is is to is to think about and, and write down what's the actual worst that can happen, um, and and then to flip that around. You know what what would success look like on that day, and what would it look like if they actually were more positive in their talk? How would that how would that help? So rather than you know looking at the hill saying oh you know that hill looks tough, I get them to write it down what it's going to be like when they reach the top. I get them to visualize the feelings, the, the the how that's going to feel in their stomach, how that's going to feel in the, in their mind, and how proud they're going to feel of themselves when they hit the top. Not if they hit the top, but when they hit the top. Yeah. 
and and you know and, and that's kind of the things that we do from there so I, i'm really getting them to you know to the visual the visual people to really visualize it to smell it to taste it to feel it uh the kinesthetic people to feel it and then the you know the kind of um you know the the the, the personality types who are very deep who, who like to write who like to read i'll get them to document and journal it you know so it's it's all about turning the negatives into a positive that's so good i really like that and i think that's a real step by step of how to do it rather than just saying think positive i love the idea of actually starting to pay more attention to what you say yourself because you're absolutely right i know when for example when a rider's on a big hill you're right they'll look at it and they'll think god that hill looks great I love it. huge a great example actually i went and rode Helvellum recently and i class myself as a fit rider I, i'm confident i can get to the top of any hill but even at the bottom of Helvellum, you're looking up and you're craning your neck to see the top and it's three thousand feet from the bottom and you're thinking it's a pretty long way up to the top of that and in that situation what i did was i kind of set myself mini goals so i was like looked about a thousand feet up the mountain and you can see a spot where you're going to get to and you're like right well i'll just get to that point and then when you get to that next bit it's like right i'll just get to the next point um, but I agree, um, the the mental side of it is so important in regards to the talk you say to yourself. Uh, I put a post on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, and it was just saying to saying that you'd be amazed at what you can achieve on the bike when you start to say to yourself that you can, rather than that you can't. And people literally went away, and they'll start riding a hill, and then they'll just on the way up say, I can do it, keep going, keep pushing, I can carry on, I can hit that, I can get to that point. And they get further on the climb just literally by changing the, the self-talk. So... I totally, totally agree with what you just said there. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely crucial. I think it's crucial. And, 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 you know, there's more and more examples of it now. You know, England football was a recent one and, and breaking that hoodoo of the, you know, the penalty shootouts and so forth like that. It was all psychological, you know, um, in sport, in, in high performance, in any shape or form, whether that's in a boardroom or, you know, or, you know in any scenario in life, what you say to yourself will underpin uh, how your performance goes, you know, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And sometimes, you know, you can do all the right things and, and you still don't get the result, but I think it's about doing the right things to try and achieve the best that you can. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that for your average Joe, your average Joe kind of a uh, mountain biker is setting a goal important. So your pro athletes that you work with will always have a clear goal in mind. I imagine it will be a win this fight, achieve this level, beat this person. And for your average rider, most of them will just head out on a weekend and ride. Would you say that setting a clear goal for them to achieve is important? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like you say, we're lucky in sport in some respects because there's a clear, there's a clear target there. There's, a, you know, or what, you, what you've termed a goal there. You know, you've got a competition or you've got an event and so forth like that. And and you can then reverse engineer it backwards often, you know. Um, yeah. So... I don't think there's anything wrong with being a casual rider who wants to go out each weekend and, um, you know, just, just get some miles in, get some endorphins, get some dopamine in your brain, keep fit, keep healthy. And, and that's all good. And if that if that's what you're doing it for, then, then, then that's, then that's cool. I think where things like goal setting becomes important is for the people who, who say that they want to, uh, you know, I want to. I want to get out on the bike. I want to get out on the bike. But then, for whatever reason, it's just not quite happening. Okay. You know, you know where where life life gets in the way for all of us, I suppose, doesn't it? You know, things things crop up. We have personal lives. We have families. We have kids. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it, it it's not it's not quite happening. You know. So I find that putting a little tangible target in place 
uh, which they decide. So ultimately, their account, you know, your clients and your listeners, you know, they make the decision. They then become accountable to that decision. Yeah. And, and, And then what we as coaches do is we help them create the action steps that are going to get them to that point. Um, so, yeah, I, I like goal setting. I think it's cool. I think, you know, I've made a big thing in my blog and on my podcast about vision boarding and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I sort of slam vision boarding. And the reason why I slam it is because people spend fucking hundreds of hours on it. <laughs> Dude, you know, they create these great vision boards but don't actually take any action. Yeah. So, what I would say with, you know, with any goal setting, it has to be underpinned by action. Yeah. You know, it's all well and good setting a goal, but, but you've got to reverse engineer it, put the steps in place and take the action. You've got to do the work. Simple. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember who says it. Might even be Tony Robbins, you know. Um, and he talks about when you make a decision, it is, a decision isn't actually made until you take action on the spot. So a really simple example is like a podcast, for example, if you say, right, I'm going to start a podcast that's not a decision in itself it's a decision when you send five emails saying do you want to be on my podcast and so like that if you say right i want to get fitter on the bike that's not really a decision until you've headed out the door and gone for a quick ride or booked in a gym session or taken an action so yeah i totally agree i think what you're getting at there is that goals are important it can be useful as long as you take action on it and you don't just keep thinking about this goal for six months without actually doing anything yeah, because we all have an you know an idealistic view on life, and and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. You know, because we've all got this you know idealistic view of you know of us powering through on the bike, and you know, and screaming down the hill, and the wind in our hair, and all that. I'm bald, obviously, so I ain't got no hair. But there you go, you know, and and, and the glamour <laughs> and the glamour side of things, and you know, yeah, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna do that. And and the reality is, is you know, it and this is you know definitely the case with pro sport is that to achieve greatness in anything there's a lot of fucking hard work that's got to go into it and 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 it's yeah. a lot of sacrifice and and what that actually looks like on a day-to-day level is dragging your ass out of bed when it's raining and when it's cold yeah, uh, yeah. You, yeah. you know what i mean and, and and so when reality kicks in and we've actually got to go and do it that's where many of us fail because we've got this idealistic view of what this sunshine goal or this unicorn goal looks like yeah but the reality on a day-to-day week by week basis is is you know is very very diff- different and I, and I talk about this a lot you know and, and I say particularly to young athletes coming through particularly because young athletes get over rewarded now you know and and they, they they're living this sort of vicarious life and and I talk about it with me with my kid as well actually and my kid my little boy was you know was talking to me about you know football and so forth like that and I said to him you know where have you got like that, that, that information from and he's like oh got it from FIFA and, I, and he's sort of living this precarious life and I was like son you really want to get good at football and he's like yeah dad and I was like well get off FIFA and get out on the pitch <laughs> yeah I love that just because you can play Mortal Kombat on a PlayStation doesn't mean you can fight yeah you know, and a punch in the face will soon remind you that you can't fight you know? so i'm all about goalkeeping, but i'm all about actually um doing what you say you're going to do and actually getting off your ass and doing some work as well yeah i think that's brilliant i love it 
<laughs> I know on your website, and I know obviously we've met in person a couple of times, but um, you say straight talking. I think that definitely comes through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, but you know. No, no, no. God, don't apologise. It's wicked. I think it's really good. It's right. um, it's calling yourself out, isn't it, on the excuses that you're making and making sure that you actually do take the actions. Because you're right. It's so easy to say, oh, next Monday I'll start. Next Monday I'll start, and to tell yourself you're going to achieve great things and to you know win this race and ride this distance. But at the end of the day, you've got to put the work in and actually do it. We've got to become comfortable with the misery and, you know, and, and, and that's in anything, you know, you want to, you want to earn millions of pounds and you're going to have, you're going to have a lot of stress. You're going to have to have the, the, the uncomfortable, uh, you know, experiences of dealing with staff, of dealing with customers, of servicing clients, all that kind of stuff. But you'll get yeah. the rewards if you stick at it. You want to be a top level, you know, rider, you've got to get on the bike and, you know, go through, get the miles in the legs, you know, get the, uh, the body conditioned and the mind conditioned to, you know, like you say, before you're halfway up that hill, when that self-doubt kicks in, you want to be good at, you know, boxing, you've got to get used to getting punched in the face. You know, it's just how it, how it goes. And I think there's so many people who can talk a good game about, Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. When I, when I'm coaching my guys, I'm more interested in what they've done, you know? So, you know, they can tell me on a Monday morning, oh, I'm going to do this today. Yeah. What I'm more interested in on a Monday evening is here's what I've done today. Yeah. And that's how our coaching's framed from there. Got you. That's brilliant. I really like that. So uh, with your charity boxing, you get people who've never fought before. Is that right? To sign up for a fight and then fight on the day. So tell us a little bit more about that. And then I think that a lot of my listeners will really be able to relate to those people because sometimes with your pro athletes who can train seven days a week and don't have other stresses, I think it's sometimes hard for my audience to relate to that. But with the people who sign up to your charity events, they're just your everyday person, aren't they? So tell us a bit more about how those charity boxing events started, what it entails, and then I'd like to talk a little bit about the training for the, for the people who sign up, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. So I, I created charity box nights because unfortunately, um, my sister, um, my sister gave birth to a beautiful little girl, uh, Sophia Rose, and and unfortunately there was there was complications in the childbirth, and it sadly it turned out to be a negligence issue. Um, but my sister was also very poorly. Uh, they transferred my sister and and a, and a little girl to a, a specialist baby unit in Manchester called the Newborn Intensive Care Unit. Unfortunately, um, Sophia didn't didn't make it, and after twelve days, she passed away. Um, thankfully, my sister uh, is is here, and you know, is um, obviously has had a very tough time. And and I decided that in the whole process of what what, what we as a family went through on the newborn intensive care unit, uh, I decided I wanted to raise some money. Uh, I, I took a walk through the ward one day, and there was. You know, over 50 babies, I think, around 50 babies on, on the ward on that day. Um, and I decided I wanted to raise some money for what was a very special place. Um, I know boxing, I know boxing events. So I just sort of had this. And I'd actually had one go up doing charity boxing night uh, quite a few years earlier. And I, and I swore I'd never do it again. It was bloody, <laughs> it was bloody hard work. And it, <laughs> so I, I just thought. So I decided that I wanted to raise money and uh, and I was going to do a boxing event. Um, I made the decision. I'd committed to it. And then uh, a chance meeting with a lady in my, in my gym who I had said hello to a few times. Turns out she was an event planner. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it was, a re, you know, it was like the world sort of came to do. In what was a very difficult time, the world brought us, you know, a, a, 
you know, a bit of help. Uh, so I, I went for it. And um, Penny, she's called from Connecting Events. She uh, she helped me out. She she charged me no money. And uh, I decided I was going to do an event that, that was for absolute people who'd never boxed before. And we, we were going to go for it. And, and most of the fighters, I just put it out on social media and around my network. Uh, most of the fighters ended up being friends, friends of the family, people who wanted to support me, support my sister, and, and after what we'd been through, and and we did it, and we we got nearly four hundred people in the room, and we raised about twenty three thousand pounds on the first event. Amazing, <laughs> yeah, you know, and and it became sort of that, you know, all of a sudden then a little buzz started to spread, you know, a few of the athletes, a few of the boxers came along, Scott Quigg, people like that, uh, came and supported us, and. And it just became like sort of organic that that we were going to do it again, really. So it, it became an annual event. We do have one rule is that if you fought on charity boxing nights and if you've lost, we will give you one more attempt to try okay. to try and win a fight. But we're very diligent in the recruitment process. It's it's normal guys, uh, you know, people who uh, teachers, office workers, factory workers, you name it. Um, you cannot have fought before because we want the fights to be fair we want them to be safe Uh, you have to commit to the full training program with me Uh, that's so I can get you to a level of competency then also to make sure that I've got no ringers in my my squad as well (laughs) what's a ringer is that someone who's fought before yeah that's someone who's fought before and I mean Uh, so you'd be able to spot it would you yeah we can spot it a mile away but we, we we do a full application form and we go as far as checking the amateur boxing association records. We we oh. check online, and we every year we get applicants who say they've never fought before, and then you go and have a look on Facebook, and they're there in the boxing ring. And Why stuff. are you kidding? No, no, no. You always do. You always get somebody. <laughs> so we keep it very fair, very safe. Um, and you know, and, and we this year now we've just had our, our biggest event. We've had nearly six hundred people in the room, which is full capacity to our location. And we've actually raised now it's hundred and fifty thousand now, including oh, this wow. year's this year's event. Um, so you know, I, I'm very very proud of the event. It, it, the the name is growing, the reputation is growing, and and we're gonna push on and try and raise at least a million pounds. That's my yeah. target. That's amazing. That's so good. So can people don't do, donate even if they don't come to the event? Absolutely. Oh, so you need to make sure, obviously, people are listening to this podcast. So next time you've got an event with a donate page or if you've already got one, send it to me and I'll obviously send it out to my audience on social media because there's quite a lot of people there. And especially I think people who've listened to this podcast, I'm sure, will want to donate. So make sure you send me that link and then I uh, I can get it out there and put it on the notes for this podcast too. I will. Thank you very much. And, and no, no, no. You know, I think... Um... You know, and I think this will lead into, into where our conversation's going now and the yeah. fact of of um if it being you know normal guys and we and we had female fights this year as well for the first time ever um we we wanted to have some female fights last year but we just didn't get the applications but we had guys and girls fight this year and 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 you know obviously these these working people busy people got children but what it was all about and what it is all about and this is coming from the fighters and not myself is is the connection they have with the cause and what we're doing it for. Yeah. And when the connection is strong enough, and when you value something so much, the sacrifices are insignificant. Got you. 
so that's how people can sign up to it who might be terrified of getting punched in the face but if they've got a real strong connection to the charity if they've lost somebody like you have or if they know somebody who has it's it's that why behind it that really makes them get up and do the training with you and get punched in the face when they've probably never been punched in the face before and and do that is that what you're saying there it's exactly that it's exactly that and almost half of our fighters have had children that have been on the niku ward right so uh, or they've been on an niku ward in another city and so forth like that oh, and yeah. thankfully you know you know niku manchester looks after over a thousand babies a year they have a, an amazingly high success rate with with children that are no bigger than you you know your fingernail in some cases really you know um uh, the children that are born at you know in in the mid to you know 25 20 uh, not even less 22 21 weeks of term and the children are born and these children thankfully are, are with us and are healthy and happy so you know they they do amazing work and and because it's such a strong cause we are i mean we had over a hundred applications this year so you know but that doesn't mean we don't need any so if there's anybody listening sure there will be please <laughs> I, we always need more we always need more applicants definitely yeah definitely and i'll pop the uh i'll pop the links in the notes for this podcast so if you are interested you can just follow that link and, uh, and take a look i know a lot of people listening to this love a challenge and that's uh get out of your comfort zone proper challenge especially because you can't have fought before so everyone's just a complete newbie aren't they that's right. Everybody's in it together, you know, and, and they've all got the same fears and worries, you know, and, and the same anxieties. But you're absolutely right. There's a saying that I, that I sort of live by, really, which is there's no growth in comfort. And, and this is this is a classic case of it. You know, um, I, I've witnessed, you know, men and women who've come through our training camp go on an absolutely unbelievable journey, of, you know, where they, they, they've been being sick. They've been you know, really, really sort of it's been really, really tough. And, and the, the sense of uh, achievement for them at the end, because it is all about the fighter. They're, they're putting themselves on the line and the sense of achievement for them when they you know, win or lose, climbing through the ropes they've won, you know, because to, to, it's, so, yeah. it's so scary. It really is. And, yeah. uh, you know, climbing through the ropes, they've already won. And the sense of achievement when they've raised loads of money, they've got all their loved ones supporting them and they've done something, they've done something that they'll remember for the rest of their life. And, and I think... You know, when we look at motivation, I'm all about these inner drivers, you know, this 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 inner drive of, of that when you've got that connection to something and it means so much to you, the sacrifices are irrelevant because you just you're so focused on the outcome and the uh, and, and what it is you're doing it all, as you quite rightly said, the why, what it is you're doing it for. I love that. I think it's great. It gives me goosebumps that when you said about jumping into the ring in front of all those people after training hard for six weeks. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it is tough. It's really, really tough. But no. So what does that six weeks look like? So let's say you've got Karen, who's a teacher. She comes to you on day one. What what happens? And I'm sure there's some lessons for those who don't want to do a charity event, you know, who are listening. <laughs> what, <laughs> what actually happens when they come through the door on day one? And what do you do over the next six weeks? Like, are you training every day? Do you assess the fitness at the beginning? Like, what does it look like? So we we try and get all our applicants in place about ten weeks beforehand, and what we'll then do is is we'll send them out some basic training, some basic guidelines of uh, you know because some of them you know may need may need or want to lose a little bit of weight for argument's sake. So yeah. we'll we'll get them 
um, we've got a sort of like a, an ebook that we've put together there whereby we we've got some basic you know some basic functional uh, movements that we ask them to do we ask them to start you know hitting an exercise bike and and you know perhaps going down to a local gym to, to near where they live and start punching a punch bag and so forth like that so okay. about 10 weeks out we actually say to them okay guys if at this point you, you've not you know many of them haven't trained for many years in some cases obviously they have to have medical clearance as well you know that everything's okay there yeah. uh, but you know assuming everything's all okay you know we give them four weeks to, to sort of just sort of do their own thing um and 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 get moving on their own we we've we've sent them videos of the previous years when that's been applicable and and you know just to get the sort of juices flowing and, and away they go we then get them all together and it's it's normally actually about seven weeks beforehand and and you know we three to four times a week then we're we're hitting the pads i've got uh coaches from uh two gyms that help me out m3 perform and bridgewater boxing club yeah we're, we're doing pad work we're doing footwork we're, we're making sure they're safe most importantly so we teach a lot about obviously guard and defense and we're, we're doing all kinds of conditioning work with them we we get um we get guest guest fighters to come in and, and help us out and give them some talks and te- tactics and techniques and whatnot like that um we we uh, then i'll build you know building it all up into what is the meat of the training camp which is sparring now we, we don't just throw them in and you know some of them have, have never been punched before so you know that takes a little bit of getting used to so there's some techniques that we use to to build them up into into you know not absolutely panicking and running for their life but uh you know what's what some of those techniques well there's a great book actually um yeah. and I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you readers to if you download the flinch by julian flinch. smith you can get it for free on, on google okay um so it starts with and, and this is a, a philosophy of mine really it's about being a student of your game so we get them to actually learn about the responses of the body and you know the responses of what is fight or flight why are they scared why are they feeling those feelings in their tummy um we then slowly but surely work it up into actually some physical contact which is very very light and very very controlled so that they adapt and they become conditioned to it that way um okay Oh, conditioning is a, a, a fascinating thing, and I'll you know give you a bit of a laugh and give you all your riders a bit of a laugh. You know, <laughs> conditioning is conditioning, and conditioning is all about what your body is used to. And and I hadn't done a bike ride for years, quite a few years ago, and then one of my mates egged me on and said, uh, "Let's go and do the Manchester Blackpool bike ride, raise a few quid, and we'll have a day out." I said, "Okay, great, let's do it." <laughs> me, you know, bit of an idiot at that time, didn't train. You know, I thought I'm fit enough. I can't be able to do it. No problem. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. And I was fit enough, and I did it. It's it certainly not in any kind of you know great time or anything like that. What wasn't conditioned was my backside on the saddle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's a nice image for everyone. <laughs> I'm sure everyone can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they can. And um, so being punched is exactly the same. If you've never been punched before, you know, even, you know, uh, any kind of punch is, is one is going to hurt and two is going to scare you. You're just not used to it. You're not conditioned for it. Yeah. But, you know, if, if, if you understand why you're behaving, where you're behaving, why you feel the way you're feeling, learn about it. But then, and this is the key point, like we said about action before, at some point, you've got to get hit. The only thing that's going to train you to be hit in the face is being hit in the face. Got you. 
and uh, so we we introduce it very slowly, very controlled, very calmly, uh, constantly reassuring people, you know, uh, constantly coaching those fears away, and and we build that tolerance and we build that resilience up to it, and and then what you see is a, a, a real journey with quite a few of the you know the guys and the girls that when they do then get hit, and they get hit properly, they think, oh hang on, that wasn't so bad. You know, assuming they don't get knocked out, of course. But there we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Assuming they got, it's not a one punch. <laughs> it's about you know, it's about making sure things are controlled. So, you know, you put six foot five, twenty stone guy in with a five foot three, ten stone right. guy, then it's not going to end well. You know, so it's yeah. about it's about you know progression and 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 the principles of overload, which you know as well as I do. Yeah. You get somebody that's never trained before, who's completely deconditioned and beast the shit out of them in the gym. And that's just not going to end well physically or mentally, not going to end well. So the principles of overload has to be, you know, steady progression at the right time and then regression at the right time as well. And, yeah. that's, and that's very much how we operate the training camp. Of course. And I think there's so many different ways that mountain bikers can apply that. I mean, one that springs to mind with what you were talking about then with that kind of the flinch um, is that... Let's say a rider wants to get better at doing drop rather than looking at a 20 foot drop and thinking, oh my Lord, I'm never going to be able to send that. Just starting by dropping off a curb, then a bigger curb and then a three foot drop and then a four foot drop and a five foot drop. And then you condition yourself just to get used to those, those bigger drops. And you're exactly right. Rather than jumping in and get, you know, somebody diving in who's an experienced boxer and just boxing and just battering you. It's about building it up gradually, isn't it? And doing it step by step. Absolutely, you know, and, and I mean, you know, and Darren, Darren Roberts, he, he talks about him, has worked with Danny McCaskill, you know, he does all the kind of tricks on the bikes and all that kind of stuff. Now, you know, I know for a fact that McCaskill's got a gym-based program and so forth where he'll be building up his core stability, his balance, his coordination, his strength, all those kind of things. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's all well and good. But if we look at performance for any for any athlete or any competitor, let's say competitor, so you know the, the listeners feel really tagged into it because they are a competitor. If they go out on a bike, they're competing with themselves. The the, the the central piece of the jigsaw for a competitor is skill. It's it's actually doing the sport. It's doing the the movement. So uh, to echo what you, you've said there, you know, is we all can't be Danny McCaskill. You know, Danny McCaskill is the is the formula one racing car of mountain bike trickery isn't he you know he's he's unbelievable but you know if we want to practice some jumps then of course we we take the jump from you know a very very small jump uh, build up the conditioning build up the resilience to it build up the uh the ability to control our fear because we need fear you know and and uh, coach try and coach somebody to not be scared is a big mistake I think I think fear is very very important as long as we can keep keep a you know some sort of control of it. Okay. Uh, and and then we gradually as as we progress and as we improve we we move the boundaries, don't we? We move the goalposts, and and then before you know it, jumping off a curb becomes jumping off a you know a you know, two three four foot drop or whatever it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so good. And I think people listening to this will find it really useful just to think about really gradually building it up. And then you're right, like. Step by step by step, it just gradually, gradually gets um, gets easier. When you, you mentioned about you riding to Blackpool, like, and obviously you got a, a sore ass from sitting on the saddle for X amount of hours. <laughs> um, so riders, like most people listening to this, who ride two, three times a week, you just don't get sore anymore when you ride. Like, it, it just doesn't hurt. One thing I'm interested in, does 
for a pro boxer, does it actually hurt them less to get hit than it would me? Like, is there literally less pain? So when I go riding, like, my my backside is fine after a ride. It doesn't hurt <laughs> at all. Like, I could have been sat on the sofa. It doesn't make a difference because, obviously, it's a bit tougher. Is that the same for a boxer when they get hit in the face? Does it actually hurt less or are they just used to that pain and handling the pain? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I think I'll talk from the, the words I've heard the boxers say. Okay. To answer that question, I think every boxer fears their opponent, so they they fear their power. They fear, you know, they fear and they fear what could happen. They fear that they that they could lose and that they could get knocked out and so forth like that. Now, to some of us, being punched in the face, it's like completely alien, isn't it? You'd think, my yeah. God, why would you even want to do that? And and you know, there's some fascinating studies out there. Dut- Dutton and McNabb have written some great studies about. The, uh, they call it the sports psychopath or the, or the friendly psychopath you know we're, elite level sports people are a bit crazy you know so for us you know general population and Joe public we we have to be mindful of that you know that in order to achieve those extreme levels of excellence there is also a little bit of the fact that they're crackers as well so um I, I've I've worked with boxers and and of course they've been hurt. They've 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 been hit even in sparring with you know big gloves on and head guards on and and it's hurt and 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 I've seen boxers you know get dropped in sparring and put down and so forth like that. So they can always be hurt and I think that's that's crucial. Yeah. Uh, you know and obviously the the mechanics and the you know the neuromuscular stuff of being punched is is you know the neck muscles move the head gets jolted back. It's similar to a car crash. So it's more than just facts of pain there's an actual physical response there as well the carotid yeah. artery is closed off and, and that's what makes them you know uh, the legs go and so forth like that um but then I've, I've heard boxers say on a number of occasions when they've sparred somebody it didn't hurt I, it, he had no power i knew he couldn't hurt me so i was happy for, for him to hit me okay it's like fucking hell you know <laughs> Are you, are you just nuts or are you are you just really really tough and really well conditioned yeah and, and the answer is it's probably a bit of both so okay. you know um i think as a rider there's always that bike ride that can hurt you is you should always be fearful there's always you know that that turn that speed that jump uh that loss yeah. of control where you come off and and you can get seriously fucking hurt you know and i think we have to respect our sport but then that that said, you know, with the right training, the right conditioning, we can build our tolerance, you know, and um, and we can build our robustness towards what what the event throws at us. Yeah, I love it. I totally, totally understand, and I agree completely. I think that's great advice. Um, I think one really nice way for us to end this podcast. I'm obviously conscious of your time. Um, what is one or two pieces of advice that you would give to the people listening to this podcast to kind of end on so what would be your one or two best pieces of advice i've got two uh really really clear pieces of advice i think number one be a student of your game uh before i came on here you know i've studied 20 years in athletic performance 20 years of of learning about training of, of physical physical demands of training i can ride a bike that doesn't mean I know anything about, you know, about the the, the peak, the, the the peak levels of, of bike performance. I went online, I 
went on Google, went on Google Scholar, went on PubMed, did a bit of research. I, I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to make sure that the advice I was I was going to give was in line with what's out there, with with, with what's in line. So, piece of advice number one: always be learning, be a student of your game. You, you don't know it all, and you'll never know it all, and and also you you'll never know enough. You'll yeah. never know enough. So, to the to the new guys and girls out there that are getting into bike riding, get learning. To the guys and girls out there that have been doing it thirty years, get learning. <laughs> we're all, we're always learning. So that's that's advice number one. And then in line with what we spoke about before, advice number two: uh, work on your self mastery. Work on mastering your mind. Um, I don't I don't think we ever get there. You know, none of us are Luke Skywalker or Yoda. Not give give you a bit of an insight into some of my favourite films, but. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, work on those voices in your head. Work on your confidence. Work on your self-esteem. Uh, it's it's quite often that you'll need a bit of help with that. I certainly do. I certainly get coaching off of off other people and you know coaches and mentors and whatnot like that. So uh, work on your mindset because that's your foundation to everything. Got you. That's great advice to end on. Thank you very much. Uh, so people who are listening to this will probably want to find out a bit more about you and about the charity boxing nights uh, where would you like to send people who do want to hear a bit more probably the best place we have got a website for charity boxing nights. probably the best place for everything is is through my name rick moyland which is r-i-c-m-o-y-l-a-n uh, i have a website rickmoyland.co.uk and i'm on all the social media platforms facebook instagram and twitter as rick moyland and i'm regularly posting every day yeah, and through that, you can see on the website, there's the links to the charity boxing and Rick's podcast, which we've kind of briefly mentioned, uh, and all those other things. So, yeah, that's great. I'll put those in the show notes as well so people can just link, link so people can click straight through to those. Perfect. Wicked. Well, thanks very much for coming on, Rick. I really appreciate it. Nice one, and uh, thanks for having me, and uh, good luck to everyone. Keep going, and uh, I'll talk to you again maybe another time. Thank you. Perfect. Sounds good. Hey again, podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you really enjoyed it. Rick's a really fascinating guy. I'm sure, like me, you came away with lots of things to think about and most of all, lots of things to take action on. So if you did enjoy it, remember to leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe and all the links that we talked about in the podcast for Rick's boxing nights, for his social media are all in the show notes. So go click those if you fancy. Thanks so much. And I will see you next time for the next episode of the MTB Fitness Podcast.